0: Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church sermon podcast. I'm Jacob Scrimshaw, I'm the discipleship pastor here at Rolling Hills and today's message, you're gonna hear from Pastor Jason as he teaches from 1 John chapter three, our God is love and today's podcast, you're gonna hear all about the great love of our father and how that translates to our own lives. Now let's hear from Pastor Jason. Well, if you've ever received something that you didn't deserve, it impacts you, doesn't it? And it makes you hopefully a little more grateful and, and live with more thankfulness. Several years ago, I was at the airport waiting on a flight. It was actually an international flight. And they called my name and said, you know, Jason Hale, please come to the podium. And I come to the podium and uh, the, the worker, the lady who was working there said, oh, sir, we've upgraded you to first class on this flight. And I thought, what did I do to deserve first class? And what I realized is that I like life in front of that little curtain. It's awesome up there because everything is real, and there's no plasticware. It's all actual silverware, and it was just incredible, and I started talking to people because if you're on a flight with me, you're going to get talked to, and I started sharing and talking to one another, and I realized that everybody up there is a consultant, and I thought that's where money is to be made. It's just consulting because all the consultants were in the front, and all of us workers were back in the back. <laughs> And, um, and I thought, but it was, it was awesome. I didn't deserve to be up there, and I was a little bit out of my league, but nonetheless, I just acted like I belonged and enjoyed it. Now, in a much more kind of everyday moment, these things also happen when you get something you don't deserve. At our family, we're big fan- fans of the Walmart pickup, the Kroger pickup, the Publix pickup, you know, all the places where you can get things for free. And if you're new to this, what happens in that is you go in and you purchase all of your things, but if they do not have what you need, they will substitute it for something else. What you need to realize is that our house, our pantry is an homage to all things generic. I mean, it's Equate, Great Value, Kroger brand, Publix brand, all those things. And so we always purchase those items. But when they replace it because they don't have the Great Value brand, you go from Great Value tortilla chips to Tostitos (laughs) chips. And we are just living life right, it seems like. Some of you are sitting by someone right now that you think, I do not deserve this person. And some of you are thinking, they do not deserve me. (laughs) Whatever the case might be, you can figure out which of those categories that you are in. Or how about this one? Some of you are these people that you received an A on a group project that you pulled zero weight on. And we are still mad at you for doing that. For all of us who actually worked really hard on group work. And some of you guys out there, some of you snickering right now, and you're just kind of like, yeah, that was me. You passed with flying colors because the rest of us did all of the work for you. It was something that you did not deserve. Realizing that you received something that you didn't deserve should lead to a state of gratitude. It should lead to a sense of thankfulness. It should lead to some impact on your life. In fact, when you realize that you have something that you don't deserve, it should impact the way that you live today and for all of the tomorrows. That is, in fact, what we're going to be talking about today. Because we're in the fourth week of the series of Beautiful Life, and what John talks about in the book of First John, which is an awesome book of the Bible. It's over near the end, and it's a three-part, first of a three-part letter that John wrote to kind of have a circulation of churches. It wasn't written to one specific church or one specific group of people, but it was written to address all of the things that were happening in this first-century church, one of those being that... They needed to realize what they had freely been given because when they realized what they had been given, it impacts the way that they choose to live their life. And so in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, where we're going to be spending um, our time this morning, you're going to see that. And I hope that you'll open up your heart to that and say, God, what is it that you want to show me about this life that you've called me to live? Where is an area of my life that I need to experience your goodness and lean into more gratefulness for those things because God has done so much for you that you do not deserve. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would realize the impact of that and it would change the way that we choose to live our lives from here on out. So let's pray together before we read this word together. God, thank you for meeting us here. I'm so grateful for a powerful time of worship. Thank you for connections. Thank you for community. Thank you for every person on our campus who serves. Thank you for our family ministry volunteers who are back there right now impacting the next generation and are teaching and loving and leading them so well. I thank you for what happens in community groups through the week and what happens here with first impressions. God, just so many things that we have to be grateful for that makes the church the church. And I thank you, God, that you give us an opportunity now to dig into your word and to grow together. I pray that you would remind us why we are here and that you would show us God, the steps that you're asking us to take as we seek to understand and realize what you have done and the impact that that would have on our life. I'm so grateful, again, God, for who you are. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen and amen. Let's start in 1 John chapter 3. If you have a mobile device, you can hop on there. These words are also going to be up here on the screen. Starting in verse 1 down through verse 10. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it didn't know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, no let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So John tar- starts this out in verse 1 by saying, What great love! The Father has lavished up on us. What great love has come to us by God the Father, and through Jesus Christ, And that word lavished is probably not a word that we use a lot. We tend to use the word more like gives or poured out, or maybe something was kind of bestowed up on you, but he 's lavished his love up on us. Now, some of you are Christmas people it 's like seven months till Christmas. You love to lavish people with gifts. start buying right now it 's cheaper now than waiting until November. So if you like to lavish gifts upon your friends or your neighbors or whatever the case might be. Start that process right now. But what God is showing us through this text is that through Christ, love has been lavished upon us. It has been poured out overly and abundantly in our life. And because of that, you and I can be called children of God. Because of his great love that is lavished on us, we can be called children of God. That's what it says in verse one. The great love lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And I want you to see this here on your notes. If you like to kind of follow along with those notes on your worship guide, maybe that helps you later in the week to have something to reflect back up on. I want you to hear this. Of all the titles you could have, none is greater than child of God. Of all the titles you could have, None is greater than the child of God, being a child of God. Why? Because you are a child of God because of the great love that God has lavished on you. You are a child of God through Christ. You are considered a child of God, and that surpasses all other titles that you will ever have. Mom is a title some of you have. Dad is a title some of you have. CEO is a title that some of you have. Supervisor is a title some of you have. Doctor principle, whatever the case might be, all amazing titles, but those are all secondary to this title of being a child of God. Because see, this is as good as it gets. This is truly what A beautiful life is about, understanding that I am a child of God. Now I want you to look at another writing of John. First John was written by the apostle John. He also wrote another book of the Bible called John. So if you're confused, you're in the right place. But back to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the actual gospel of John, look at what he says. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So see, when you receive him, you become a child. And this isn't a child who comes into the world biologically by a man and woman. Rather, you are adopted into his family. That Jesus seeks you out. That Jesus has chosen you. That Jesus wants to be um, in a relationship with you. And what did you do to deserve that? Nothing. What did you do to make yourself worthy of that? Nothing. What could you ever do to earn that love that God has lavished up on you? Nothing. So, the big idea of today's message, in fact, if you don't hear anything else I say today, I want you to hear this God has done something for you that you do not deserve. And because you don't deserve it, it should radically impact the way that you live. God has done something for you that you do not deserve. And because you don't deserve it, it should radically impact the way you live your life. He's lavished so much on you. I could keep you here all day talking about all the ways that He has lavished His love up on you. But in the essence of time, I want to pick out three. These are three things that you can say God has done in your life because He's lavished so much love up on you. And what are those ways? Here you go one, two, and three. Number one is it's grace when you least deserve it. He's lavished His love up on you, and grace when you least deserved it. We're going to come back and unpack all of these. Secondly, it's peace when peace should be elusive. Sometimes we're searching for peace, aren't we? And God gives you peace when it doesn't seem like anybody else has any peace. And then hope in the midst of chaos. So that's what God lavishes up on you. It's grace when you don't deserve grace. It's peace when peace is elusive. And it's hope in the midst of chaos. So seek grace when you least deserve it, which is, of course, the most important one meaning that Jesus died for you while you were a sinner. You were not in a perfect state when Jesus died for you. You were actually deserving of death, and Jesus died for you, and he took your place. He took a cross so that you could have life, and three days later, he, he comes off that cross, dies. Three days later, he conquers death. Once and for all, to show you how in need you are of a Savior, and he doesn't hold any of your shortcomings against you. He doesn't hold any of those things against you. You don't deserve it, but yet it's still been lavished up on you. I love Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 because it gives us a beautiful picture of this. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. What's kind of the word that's used to describe this gift of salvation here? It's, it's the grace that's a gift and you don't deserve it. His grace is freely given to you. But what you have to do is accept it. And you have to say, that is a gift that I'm going to accept. Be really wary of someone who gives you a gift that you have to pay for. It's like you giving me a gift and you saying, oh, do you like it? And I say, yes, thank you so much. Okay, well, you can make the check out to so-and-so, $29.99. I just bought something from you. You didn't give me a gift if I had to pay for it actually, please don't ever give me a gift <laughs> that I have to pay for because if I'm going to pay for it. I'm going to pick what I want. And what Jesus is saying here and what John's reminding us about the love that God lavished on us is that you can't work to earn this gift. It is there freely for you. It's likely that somebody in this room has a background where you have a really difficult time understanding that there's nothing that you can do to earn this. Because your life has been all about works, and it's been all about positioning yourself in a place to feel worthy enough, or to be good enough, or to be holy enough, or to be right enough, or to follow enough rules, whatever the case might be, to make myself worthy of what God desires to do. You've been trying to work at it, and what Jesus is saying is, no, this is a gift for you to receive. In fact, that gift is in this room this morning. That gift is in this word That gift is there, and it's readily available for your taking. So don't miss it. Don't run away from it, but rather accept it and lean into what it is that God has done in terms of lavishing his love upon you. My beautiful wife, Jacqueline, and I have been married. This year will be 10 years of marriage. And I was thinking back over the, the past 10 years, and one of the most awesome things about getting married is that people give you gifts. And um, it's awesome. I mean, they just keep showing up, and it's just incredible. And so we received, um, you know, just some incredible gifts, and I'm so grateful for all of those. And it was after our wedding, and we were opening up some of the final gifts. And so we opened up this one, and it's a um, kind of a cake plate, like one of those glass plates that has a little dome, you know, that you put over a cake, which is awesome because I love cake. Everybody needs one of those in their house. The reality is, though, is we had already received the same cake plate from someone else. So we didn't need two of those cake plates. We just needed one of them. So we decided to kind of set that one aside and we were going to take it back to Target and get some store credit and buy something else. Now the giver of the second gift does not go to church here. She may listen to this at some point in time and the secret is out (laughs) if she hears this story. So we take that one back. Six weeks later, we run into this lady dear friend of ours, we run into this lady in town, and she says, did you guys like the gift? And yeah, the cake plate, we have one. It's not from you, but it was awesome. And she said, well, did you like the cookbook that I gave you as well? She said, because I know that you and Jacqueline met in Charleston, South Carolina, and so I actually bought you A cookbook is a baker's book from a chef in Charleston, and it's first edition. You know, I had to really search for it. It's got some great recipes. It really took me a long time to find it. And so have you all enjoyed the, the cookbook? And all of the color just comes out of our faces because we realize she had put this inside the box that was taken back to Target six weeks ago. And so Jacqueline says, we can figure this out. So let's go to Target. So we go back to Target, and we start at the customer service, and we explain our story. And you know, of course, they look at you like you have three heads. They're like, sorry. Nobody has brought back a first-edition cookbook from some baker in Charleston. And So Jacqueline says, we can't leave. we got to go check the shelves. <laughs> and I've just given up all hope. And I was like, it's just gone. We have got to own up to what we have done. And so we get there, and there's two... Um, cake plates on the shelf and we open up the first box and I'm feeling like a criminal at this moment (laughs) in time because I'm like we're just I don't feel like you should be doing this like I shouldn't be going through things just open them up at Target the first one has nothing in it the second one we open it up and like a beam of light this beautifully wrapped silver book is shoved down in this cake plate and then we have a moment of crisis because we're like this is ours but we also brought it back and so I guess it technically belongs to Target now. And so we take the cake plate. We take the whole thing back up and explain to customer service, we found it. And I, and I realized one of two things. Those things are clearly not, falling off, not flying off the shelves because, you know, <laughs> praise God, one of you all didn't go buy it uh, and got a free gift. And we got the book and crisis averted. I think sometimes, though, we forget what God has done for us. He said, here is a gift for you. And some of you are missing it. Some of you are just, you're just missing it. You're, you've turned a blind eye to it. You've said, you know what? Actually, this is actually more important. Or, yeah, I'll get to that Jesus thing at some point. And God's lavished his grace upon you. And he has given you something that you do not deserve, that you can't earn, and that you can't be good enough to make a reality in your life. So how about instead of running from it, you accept it? And maybe today would be the day when you say, you know what, I want my life to be all about him. I want to receive that free gift of salvation. It's not only grace when you least deserve it, but his love being lavished upon us, it brings peace when peace should be elusive. When the storms of this life are overwhelming, that you say in the midst of all that, I can have peace. When you lose a job, you say, I can still have peace. When something doesn't go the way that you thought it would, I can have peace. When you get a diagnosis you weren't expecting, I can have peace. When I'm looked over for a promotion, I can have peace. When all the people in my life are not as grateful for me as I wish that they would be, I can still have peace in the midst of it all. It's not only peace, though. It's also hope in the midst of chaos. And this is huge. It's hope in the midst of chaos. You do not have to log on to the news outlets or turn on the TV for very long to see that the world is chaotic. So much chaos. So overwhelming So gloomy. In fact, there's this old journalism principle. Some of you who study journalism know this, but what bleeds leads. You guys familiar with that? It's the way that journalism works. What bleeds leads. And so whatever can elicit the biggest response in you is what gets top page on the news or whatever the case might be. In the midst of all of that, though, you can still have hope. My life doesn't have to be robbed of joy, but rather I can have hope in the midst of all of it. I love Psalm chapter 112. Verses 6 and 7. These two verses have been a balm for my soul over the last year, especially. Surely the righteous will never be shaken. They will be remembered forever. Listen to this. They will have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. Don't tell me that God's word is not relevant to everything that you're going through in your life right now. You don't have to worry about things out of your control. You don't have to wake up in the morning and be held captive and fearful of all the bad news or all the things that might happen because the righteous will never be shaken. Us as righteous people will never be shaken because we know where our eternity is. And we know that Jesus died for us and we know that his love has been lavished up on us. So there's hope in the midst of the trials and the chaos. Now, not only those things though, but when we realize that God has lavished his love up on us, it should affect the way that we are in relationship to sin. And that's a key point, too, of what John is talking about here in 1 John chapter 3, that it should change the relationship that I have to sin. Go back to verse 3. All who have this hope in him, they purify themselves just as he is pure. And everyone who sins, though, breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who knows what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They can no go, not go on sinning because they have been born of God. So that love being lavished upon me should change the relationship that I have to sin. That's kind of a theme of 1 John Back to chapter 1, verse 6, John says anyone claiming fellowship with God but walking in darkness is a liar. Chapter 3, verse 3, all who have this hope, you are to purify yourselves and not continue living in sin. He says, don't be led astray by this. And in verse 9, no one who's born of God continues in sin. Now, does that mean that you will never sin again in your life? (laughs) Absolutely not. It's not at all what this means. It means that we should flee from it, though, and not be held captive by it. During our 930 service, we get to celebrate an amazing baptism of a young lady named Samantha. And part of Samantha's story, as uh, she was sharing it with me, is she said these words, and it was so poignant. She said part of the, what was holding me back and taking this step of faith is that I was waiting when I would get to a point where I would never sin again. And I didn't feel like I was worthy Of what Jesus has done for me, because I'm waiting for this moment of when I can live my life at a point when I can never sin again. And then she said, "But what I realized is that's never going to happen. That He took it away now and forever." And she says, "And I've had some low points in my life, and I'm running from those, and I'm running from that, and I'm running towards Him." And I thought, what a beautiful picture of the grace of God being lavished upon us, that you don't have to be perfect. You can't be perfect, but yet you strive to run from sin and to not be held captive by the tactics of the enemy anymore because that's what Jesus did for you. He wants to set you free in that as we sing about in one of those songs. In fact, look at this question. You see it there. It's a question on your worship guide, and it's a question I want you to ponder when you think about Jesus. Do you think more about following rules or do you think more about freedom from sin? Because rules and freedom are two different camps. When you think about Jesus, do you think more about all the rules that you have to follow? Or do you think about the freedom that you have in him? Freedom from sin. Look at verses 4 and 5. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Stop. Sin is Lawlessness, sin is not right, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So he got as lavished his love on you. And he did not lavish that love up on you just so you could be a rule follower. He didn't lavish that love up on you so that you could just check off a bunch of boxes. But rather he lavished that love up on you so that you could have freedom and peace and hope and joy and life. This beautiful life, it's, it's freeing. There's lots of religious people out there that aren't living very free. It's one of my biggest issues, concerns, um, in in a true sense of just being concerned. It's one of my biggest problems, if you will, sometimes with quote-unquote religion, is that sometimes religion is more about rules than it's about Jesus. And sometimes religion is more about rules than it is about grace. And if you're here this morning and you hear the word Jesus or you think about Jesus and your mind immediately goes to rules over freedom, then I want you to lean into that because God has something for you. In fact, I'll go as far to say there's something missing. If when you hear Jesus, you only think rules and not freedom that's found in him, there's something missing in what that is is just a deeper next-level understanding of what His love has been lavished up on you. In fact, if that's where you are this morning, I'd love for you to let us know so that we can reach out to you. You can write it on that connection card. You can say, I'm struggling to understand freedom. Can I talk to somebody about that? You can stick around after our service, and someone would love to pray with you about what it means to understand freedom opposed to just living by a set of rules. I see what God wants us to understand is what he has done for us and what he has done for you. God is saying, I didn't, didn't lavish this love up on you so that you could make yourself better than anybody else. Or I didn't lavish this love up on you to make life all about you, or I didn't lavish this love up on you so that you could just check a bunch of boxes, I lavished this love up on you so that you could live in the freedom and the grace that's found in him. Personally, it sometimes bothers me when, uh, when I think people don't realize what I'm doing for them, i.e. children. <laughs> um, you know, if you're a parent in the room, sometimes um, you, you, you sometimes just want to remind your kids, like, I'm really working hard for you. I know that you don't think I am, but I really am. You know, we're trying really hard here, and we're trying, we're trying the best uh, that we can do. And I, I was thinking about a story that happened several years ago, my daughter sweet. Girl is seven now, and she was three at the time. And at three, her uh, favorite food was hard-boiled eggs. I mean, she just loved hard-boiled eggs, and so she wanted them all the time. And so it was this one particular Saturday morning, we got up, and on Saturday mornings we try to do something a little bit nicer than you know granola and cereal, which just gets us through the other five days of the week. Uh, And so I just decided I was going to cook breakfast for everybody, and so I was going to make breakfast tacos. And so, you know, fried up sausage and scrambled eggs and crumbled it all up in there with peppers and mushrooms. And my wife makes homemade salsa. She should sell it. Uh, It's so good. And so, I mean, it was just an awesome breakfast. You guys are hungry, right? We're close to lunch. And you're just like, where are the breakfast tacos? And so, it was awesome. Beautiful Saturday morning. Food hits the table. I'm ready for just a great Saturday with the family. And my sweet three-year-old, in a very raised voice, says, and I quote, Throw that in the garbage and make me a hard-boiled egg. <laughs> I said, two things, sister. One, this is not a restaurant. And so this is what we're eating. And if you want to eat, this is what we're going to have. And then secondly, because I'm a pastor, I went all spiritual. <laughs> And I said, there are so many kids in the world that do not have food, and you're wanting me to throw this away? You know, how dare you? But what I've now realized in talking to some of you is that that's kind of normal. Maybe it's just prognosis normal. Likes it today, doesn't like it tomorrow. But in that moment, you just want to say, I'm trying to do something nice here. I'm trying to show you how much I love you. We're trying to do something special, and you kind of pull back 30,000 feet or pull back, back to the heavenly realms, and you realize what God is saying to us right now is, I have done so much for you, and you're making it about rules. Or I've done so much for you, and you're just over here checking boxes. Or I've done so much for you, and you're just kind of turning your back on me and going and entertaining all the things over here in the world. I have lavished so much love up on you, and I want you to know why I did it. Why I did it? L-O-V-E. It's because I love you. Why I did it is because I want peace for you. Why I did it was I want joy for you, and you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You were certainly not worthy of this, but I came to give you that beautiful life. And once I realized that, something should change in my life. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, I understand what you're saying, Pastor Jason, and I have not seen any change in my life, then maybe your prayer right now would say, it sounds simply like this, God, show me what you have done and show me how to respond. Show me what to run towards. Because as you see here on your notes, you can always identify a tree by the fruit that it bears. Apples, apple tree. Lemons, lemon tree. Grapes, grapevine. Blueberries, blueberry tree. I mean, we could keep going on and on and on. What fruit should be manifest and present in our life? If we really understand that God's love has been lavished upon us, what should be manifest in our life is what it says in verse 10. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Two things he says. One, anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child. And then secondly, he says, anyone who does not love their brother or sister is not God's child. So if you don't do what's right, then you're not God's child. And then temperature gets turned up a little bit. (laughs) But also, if you don't love your brother or sister, then you're not God's child. Maybe that's eye-opening for you. Maybe that's eye-opening for you for the very first time that you realize that Once I understand what God has lavished up on me, I have to grow in my love for other people. In fact, an unloving Christian is an oxymoron. As you grow in your love for God, you will not grow in hate towards other people. There's a disconnect somewhere. Something's off, and that's between you and God to determine what's (laughs) off. But as you grow in that love, then that love for others should be what grows. And you guys know this. You know this next point. This is not earth-shattering for you, but it so bears repeating. Love for others speaks so boldly, though, to a watching world. I'm not talking about making yourself better and hoping the world catches that. Or I'm not saying, look at me, world, all the rules that I follow. No, I'm talking genuine, heartfelt love, compassion, me being moved to compassion, by the needs in your life. Love for others speaks so boldly to a watching world. And that says as if John was wanting the church to understand that. In fact, he told us that in the Gospel of John verse, or chapter 13, verse 35, by this everybody will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So you mean people do not know that I belong to Jesus based on me being able to win an argument? You mean that people do not know that I belong to Jesus because I am smarter than they are? You mean people don't know that I belong to Jesus because I have checked more boxes than they have checked? No, people know that I belong to Jesus because of the love, genuine, true love that you have for the world and for people. So how do you do that? What are some ways that you can grow? And I want to give you a few practical things as we close today. First of which is serve. Get out there and serve. Serve at Core Team. Go out there after our services today and find a way to serve here in the life of our church, to give of your time. Seek to serve here in the life of our church. I'm so excited about something that's coming up on Sunday, May the 30th. We're going to have an event here called The Church Has Left the Building. So on Sunday, May 30th, if you come here expecting what we're doing right now, you're going to be really disappointed that day. But what we're going to do on that day is be the church. We're going to go out into the community. We've got opportunities and all kinds of things lined up for you guys to be the hands and feet of Jesus, serving. And it is an all skate. This is for everybody. If you have little kids, we've got something for you and your family to do. If you are saying, I don't know what I could serve, how could I be of use, we've got something for you to do that day. Because the world is watching. And we want to proclaim that love and to serve in our community. Another way that you can show that love is to seek to overwhelmingly meet the needs of other people. Just say, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can right now to meet the need of another, to be a refreshment to somebody else. Look at Proverbs 11.25. A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Have you noticed that when you bring encouragement to somebody else, who ends up being the one that's blessed? You do. And you begin to think to yourself, I wonder why that is. Well, it's because this is the way that God designed it. You offer refreshment to somebody else, and you end up being the one that gets refreshed. may ever stepped up to serve, and you've said something like this afterwards? I know I was there to do something, but I walked away <laughs> feeling like the blessed one. I, I showed up as something to serve, and I enjoyed it, and I, and I felt so refreshed. And you're like, because that's God's design. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Seek to see others as Christ sees them. Remember how broken you are. Sometimes I think the longer we walk with Jesus, we forget how far we've come. And we forget what he's actually saved us from. And we forget about our own sin and our own brokenness. The problem is that we have a ton of people walking around outside of the church. And several probably inside the walls of the church that just don't realize what's been lavished on them. We just don't realize it. We have failed to realize what has been lavished up on us. So how about today we make a commitment to say, that's not going to be me. Don't let that be you. But rather say, I want to grow in that. I want to grow in that understanding of what it means to have God's love lavished up on me. That will impact me. That will change my today. It will change my tomorrow. And it will change my forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for your love that's been lavished upon us. I pray that we would grow today in that, that you would help us to understand what you have done. Because, God, what you have done for us is something that we can never do for ourselves. And so I pray right now, God, for the person here who's struggling in their faith. There's a next step that you're asking them to take, and they don't know what to do. Or maybe hope and peace just seems so far out of reach right now. And I pray, God, that you would bring that, bring that to the searching soul in this room. I pray for the person in this room that's just kind of been checking the boxes with life, that you would help them to understand what it means to have that love lavished up on them and that they would turn from sin and run to you. And God, I pray for each of us that we would all be sensitive to what you've done, that we would reflect, just even in this moment of worship, that we would reflect upon your great love, and the blessing that has been given to us, and that we would seek to proclaim that and share that and live that boldly and live that passionately. So meet us here, God, in this moment. We're so thankful for who you are. It's in the name of Christ that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date with what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.